The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host. This week I am joined by Lee Huffman from Bald Thoughts, a fellow boarding area blogger, a longtime friend of mine, and uh, someone I'm really excited to talk to. He has a lot of good stuff to share. Welcome to the show, Lee. It's great to be here, bud. Good, good to talk to you. I know you're traveling all over the place, and good to be able to have you in one spot at, at, at a little bit for us to be able to talk. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm at home right now, headed to Japan next week, so I'm excited about that, but I'm glad we could get this uh, done, and this will actually come out when I'm in Japan, so I'm kind of trying to get ahead of myself just a little bit uh, with recordings, but I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because uh, I feel like you are somebody who's in all kinds of different areas of the miles and points space. Uh, when did you start Bald Thoughts? I started in uh, December 2012. Um, at the time, I was working in corporate finance for a bank, and my job all day, every day was Excel and occasionally a PowerPoint. And, you know, I mean, it gets a little boring sometimes. My wife and I, we were traveling a lot using the Southwest Companion Pass, using our timeshares, using uh, SPG points, you know. Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yes, yeah, so we were traveling a lot and people just kind of assumed because I was making good money at the bank that that's how I was able to afford the traveling. And, you know, there's not there weren't as many like, travel blogs back in the day and everything. Uh, and so I said, look, if you know me, I'm frugal. I'm not going to I'm not going to spend all this money for all, for all these trips. But let me show you how it's done. And and that's really where I started. I was like showing people like, look, you can do this stuff, uh, you know, and especially you know, at the time I our son was almost two years old. And, uh, I'm like, look, you know, the, all the different trips that we take and, and being able to create the memories with him and, and creating the memories, just my wife and I traveling together, uh, they, the kids grow up quick. I mean, you know, that with, the, with all your kids. Right. And I feel a lot of families, they, they wait to be able to travel. Cause one, it's expensive for a lot of them. And they're like, Oh, I don't want to travel when they're too young because they're not going to remember it. And if we're going to spend all this money, we want them to be able to remember it. But I kind of look at the, the, the opposite way is like, yeah, they may not remember it, but in the moment, they are going to have like the best time ever. Like, my son does not remember our first trip to Paris. He was about 26 months old, and he was running around like a madman chasing pigeons in front of the Louvre. You know, he was like, that was like the the peak of happiness for him, chasing all those birds. And does he remember it? Absolutely not. But my wife and I still chuckle about it. You know, we got video of it. You know, we take some pictures and and everything else. And like those memories we're going to have for our lifetime. And if you wait too long, all of a sudden they become like grumpy teenagers. Right. And they don't want to travel with you. Like, Hey, we're going to go see penguins. Like on the, on the coast of like Southern coast of Australia. You want to go? Nah, I'm going to go. I want to go to the mall with my friends. Yeah. I, like really? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's crazy. I have a, a 22 year old. So I've gone through all of that. And uh, obviously in yeah. his teenage years didn't travel. And then my daughter's now eight and a similar thing. Like, I remember her first birthday, we were at Disneyland Paris, and we were in Paris and Spain, and uh, what a great trip that was for us. 
And we've actually taken her back as she's gotten older. And even though she obviously doesn't remember being one year old, but that was an amazing set of memories for us. And then we've sort of infused those memories onto her because we have pictures and videos. And as she goes back, now that she does remember it and she has a relationship with that city, being there on her first birthday is actually very important to her. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, travel isn't just about giving them the memories, right? It's about giving yourself the memories, getting that time to spend as a family and, you know, doing that outside of the norm, which, you know, it can become monotonous and parenthood isn't always easy when you have little ones and taking them somewhere else and then just getting the joy of watching them run out around chasing pigeons. uh, That's pretty cool. (laughs) Well, that and the other thing is also like, you know, as both of us being fathers and, and husbands, the other aspect of it is, Sometimes you're you're stuck paying for for daycare and diapers and formula and all the other stuff like that, and it's it crazy expensive. And if you don't like keep track of things, it's easy to kind of forget about creating those like special times with just you and your and your spouse, right? And when you are paying all those all those expenses, it's sometimes like ah, we really should do like a like a couple's trip, just us to kind of reconnect and everything. But you can't because you're paying car payments and you're paying student loans and you're paying a mortgage and you're paying daycare and all that stuff. But using those miles and points, like, hey, you know what? Let's just get away for the weekend. We're going to have grandma come watch watch the kids. You know, we're going to take a quick flight down to the Caribbean or whatever. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be that far, right? It could be anywhere. Or even just a staycation, like, in your city at a, at a nice hotel. But if you didn't have the miles and points, fi- carving out those dollars to be able to make that happen. The the adulting part of you <laughs> comes in, right? And you're like... No, nah, that's too frivolous. We can't like we can't waste you know a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred or whatever on on a weekend just for us to get away. And next thing you know, it's been five years and since the last time you and your spouse like actually got to hang out and have just alone time. Yeah, that's a good point, especially when you're younger parents and you're not as financially stable as maybe you would be, you know, another decade on or or where you have a little bit more money. I mean, this really can be such a a, a boost to your lifestyle being able to use the miles and points to, to make memories to, to just, like you say, uh, spend couples time and just things that you wouldn't do, especially if, you know, you and I are both <laughs> cheap, as you say, uh, you know, I came into this for exactly the same reason. I would always, you know, I was on slick deals always, all the time, always finding great deals for things. Um, you know, that's how I approached life. And a lot of things, I'm just not going to pay $500 a night for a hotel. I'm not going to go do a you know, a weekend getaway where it's going to cost me thousands of dollars because I don't think it's a good financial decision. But now I can do it, you know, quite often with miles and points. And also, I, you know, as I've gotten older, I found that there are times to spend money to kind of bolster those experiences, but I'm not having to pay for flights most of the time. I'm not having to pay for hotels. And that allows me to do so much more as well. So I think miles and points are so good for anybody, right? And we see a lot of like single people, uh, doing it and flying their business class flights and all of that stuff in the space. But it's really, really good for families. And it doesn't really matter if you have to fly, you know, a, a budget airline or you're flying in coach with your family or whatever you're doing. It's really like you say, I mean, that's miles to memories, right? But it really is about the memories and, <laughs> and what you're creating along the way there. Absolutely. And the other aspect of it, you know, you talked about when you're younger, right? And maybe you're kind of trying to build your career and like both of us like work for ourselves. So it's, it's not exactly the same, but I know when I was working in the corporate world, sometimes, you know, you want to be able to attend a conference. You want to be able to do things that's, you know, you're meeting other people in the industry to make those connections and network, or maybe you're going to someplace to get some education, to be able to, to get that next uh, job or to move forward in your career at the, at the same company. But, you know, a lot of company budgets are tight. 
uh, you know, or maybe they can, they, they're willing to pay for the conference, but not for the airfare, or maybe they're not willing to pay for any of it. And you're able to, to convince, uh, submit for like a speaker role at the conference. And then instead of paying for cash for the, the flight and the hotel to get there, you use your miles and points. And like, that's a way to help b- build your career. Like I'm, you know, we were just talking before we started recording, I'm going to this real estate wealth builders conference over in Phoenix. And, you know, if I had to pay for it, it's, you know, three, four, $500 to fly there, you know, three, $400 a night for the hotel and all those things. And it's like, okay, is it, is it really worth it versus, okay, well, I, I registered to speak, so I don't have to pay the conference fee. I'm using my miles to be able to fly there. And then I'm using the hotel points. I'm not staying at the, the hotel that they're hosting it at, but I'm staying at a hotel around the corner, uh, partly also trying to get my globalist uh, renewed. So, <laughs> but doing those things where you're able to make those connections, you're able to, for us, present our brand out there, for others to be able to make those connections for building your career and everything. If you didn't have miles and points, a lot of these opportunities may be closed for you, you know, and to me and to you as well, uh, building your financial future and, and a solid financial foundation to be able to take care of your family. That's like one of the top priorities. And, and it's awesome being able to use the miles and points to be able to make that happen. Absolutely. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about your, your background. When did you take bald thoughts from just being independent? I mean, you're still independent, but when did bald thoughts join boarding area? Uh, let's see. I, I got introduced uh, to, uh, to Randy from Angelina Cello and, um, I think that was in like June of 14 and then they weren't accepting new people at the time. So I think it was a full year later is when I was, when I finally joined and at the time I actually was on, uh, the other site, the, I call it the, the, the JV team yeah. prior to boarding. The, <laughs> yeah. Prior to boarding. And, um, I think after a year or two, then they finally elevated all of us up to the big leagues. Uh, at being on boarding area and uh, it's been great. Like Randy's been awesome. The whole team has been awesome. Obviously there's been a little bit of turnover with some of the staff there, but still got a lot of people that have been there for years and it's just great the way they, they help us all out and allow us to focus on creating content and not have to worry about a lot of the back office things. And, and yeah, so I've been, I've been doing that again. It was more just like a fun thing, something fun to do um, for ne- for a number of years. Cause I'm also interested in personal finance uh, as far as investing in real estate and, insurance and everything. And so I was attending a conference called FinCon, uh, partly just to be able to hang out with a bunch of money nerds like me. Right. And then also partly just because I, you know, wanted to learn about how to do my site better and and how to do better at social media and, and all the other aspects of things. Uh, and I was going there mostly, I ended up just hanging out with people and becoming friends with them and, and talking about money. Uh, and then when it was time for me to leave my corporate job in 2018, seeing them and like, realizing that they can actually make it a career out of uh, freelance writing. Uh, that's what kind of inspired me to, instead of finding another corporate finance job, just saying, Hey, you know what, let's move to a lower cost area of living. So we moved from Southern California to Nashville and my wife could focus on her, on her job. Uh, I could spend more time with the kids. And um, yeah, so I've, I've been freelancing full time for almost five years now. Yeah. And FinCon is where I've seen you most often over the years there's not a lot of miles and points bloggers who go to FinCon, uh, but there's a handful of us, and I feel like uh, we, we see each other often. And one thing you do so yeah. well is networking with everybody and getting to know different people and getting to have interesting conversations with them about not just money, but all aspects of life. And I think that's uh, something I've taken inspiration from in seeing you over the years. 
at FinCon, which, like I said, that's generally where I've seen you. Although I've seen you at other places, like at, at Miles and Points conferences or you know boarding area stuff. You know, going back to boarding area really quick, I think a lot of people don't really understand how boarding area works. But we all own our sites, and we're you know independent. We they don't tell us what to write. They just basically sell ads, and we do a revenue share with them. And then they also do all the technical stuff on the back end, help us with our sites, uh, stuff like that. So it's it's a great sort of opportunity. Uh, and I also started on prior to boarding. Uh, so I started in the, in the JV league and worked my way up to, to boarding area. Um, I, I think, I think I was the first one to get promoted, but it was, like you said, that it was, everybody was doing such good work there. And I think they quickly realized that it wasn't fair to keep us all off to the side and that, you know, they needed us to, to infuse some fresh, uh, perspective on the boarding area blogs. And it was great when, Everybody got there. Uh, some other ones, like Points with the Crew, was another one at the time, and there was mm-hmm. some other ones which aren't around anymore. But you know, it was kind of like sure. this. Uh, yeah, this we we all had this. Uh, you know, kind of like a, a, a brotherhood or a sisterhood uh, yeah, because yeah. we all started. <laughs> you know, down on the lower ranks of boarding area. That's right. But that's right. I wanted to ask you, like, so I want to talk about freelance versus doing your site because I feel like there's some interesting stuff there. But let's start with like your move to Tennessee. You moved to Nashville from, I think you lived in what, Anaheim Hills, uh, if I remember right, yeah. uh, back in the day. Yeah. So, you know, a very high cost living place, very, very high cost living place, uh, moving to Nashville, uh, which was significantly lower cost. So obviously that helped out, I'm sure, financially. Uh, but how was like the move? How was it, you know, upending your family? You have kids and going there. Was it yeah. like everything you expected? Did you miss California when you when you went to Tennessee? <laughs> well, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there. Uh, first off, the main thing that I miss from being here, you know, now five years, obviously COVID in there, you know, kind of accentuated things is really is missing the friends, right? Like I've lived in Southern California my entire life. And so all my friends from, from college and high school and different jobs that I worked and everything like that. So I had everybody there. And so I, I felt like I, I was surrounded by this huge community of friends. And then when we moved here, I knew like maybe five people, something like that. I mean, not a lot. And then, you know, focusing on the family and, and you know, being shut down with it, with COVID and everything like that. Like it's, it's been a weird transition as far as being so many, it's like more outgoing and like want to be surrounded by friends and always like having barbecues and, and doing all these things back where we lived in SoCal and not really doing that much here. And even some of the friends that we've met, they've moved. And so it's like in a short period of time, like we, you became really good friends and you're like, all right, awesome. We're going to hang out all the time and do all these fun things. And like, Oh, you're moving. Oh man. You know? So, so that part, that part's been a challenge. Um, the good thing with the miles and points, like I've taken the kids and, and me back and forth to California a few times and, and seen people and, and a few people that, uh, living in SoCal come to visit us. So, so that part's good. Uh, and we're now closer to family so we can drive over to, to Georgia and, and stuff to see like my wife's family and everything. So, so there are some good aspects about that. Uh, but when it was time to leave my corporate job, I mean, I was, I was pretty high up there at, at the bank and, and I was making good money. Leaving a good solid paycheck was, uh, <laughs> was definitely a little scary, right? You know, luckily we had, you know, we'd paid off a lot of debt and, you know, our house had appreciated a lot. And so it made it easier to make a, a big down payment on the house here and provide some reserves as I'm building up my business and everything. But it was definitely scary. And there were plenty of times where I'm like, man, did I screw up? 
did I, did I like, did I do the wrong thing for, for my family and everything? And was I being selfish? You know, you hear, always hear about people in their forties or whatever, doing like a midlife crisis. I'm like, damn, did I do, did I do the wrong thing? Uh, but overall, I mean, the fact that I get to take my kids to school every day, you know, take them, pick them up, take them to sports and like take them to doctors and, and all that stuff without having to ask permission from a boss, uh, you know, or getting like, you know, side eye glances from people like, Oh, you're leaving early. You know, that, that type of thing, uh, has been, has been wonderful. You know, I mean, I, my kids like do like they're in club soccer and last summer, for example, they were at, at a at camp all day. It was from like nine to three. I literally brought a tent out there, pitched my tent, brought my chair, brought a cooler and had my uh, iPad and keyboard out there. And I was just typing away, working on articles. So it's awesome to be able to be there for them while you're also able to kind of continue to moving forward with your business and building your career and everything like that. And so that part's really cool. But I back to like the FinCon thing. I think a lot of times you don't really know what it's possible until you see somebody else do it. That's part of the thing with the miles and points, but also with my career now as a freelance writer, if I hadn't met so many people through FinCon and learned about how they do with their careers and how they're, you know, earning clients and, and, creating the articles and doing things in such a proper way, you know, I would have never thought that was something possible, you know, and I may have just jumped right into another finance job. And, and I think my life would not be as good uh, as far as like the times I get to spend with my kids and, and everything like that. And so it's a strange, weird kind of windy road getting to where we are today, but, but I wouldn't trade it at all. Yeah. It's been really cool to see, you know, I, I think I remember the early days of when you were just starting to freelance and talking with you at FinCon and, just to see how prolific you've become and everywhere I see your name and all kinds of big publications. Um, and, you know, occasionally you ask me to quote in, in an article, which I love too, but you really have not just become a freelancer, but become one of the best uh, in that space. And that's just through hard work. And like you say, networking and building out your portfolio, you know, what would be your best advice? Not that this is about somebody becoming a freelancer, but I'm sure there's people out there who are sort of interested in this. What's your best advice? Is it just, is it networking? Is it going to conferences? How do you think somebody should kind of crack into this if they want to try it? Uh, well, a couple of different things. One, yeah, obviously going to conferences and, and I learned something at, from, there's this guy in Southern California. Um, I can't remember the name of his taco shop, but uh, his name is Wing Lamb and he owns like these really great tacos. Like it's like a lot of like fish tacos and everything. And I was at a, a under forties uh, networking event and he was presenting up there. And one of the things that him and this other gentleman who was a CEO of a, of a small like local bank, one of the things they said is plant your seeds before you need to, to sow your, uh, before you need like harvest your garden. Right. And so you're, you're meeting people, you're developing relationships, you're doing all these things far in advance before you ever have to ask somebody for something. Right. So that way it's, you know, when I was, when I was looking to transition for my career, instead of like, Hey, I know I just met you, but do you have any freelance clients that, that you can like refer me to? You know, it wasn't that it, it wasn't like, well, who are you? Like, I just met you five minutes ago, you know? And, and so by knowing so many of these people years in advance without any intention of asking them for anything, it was just becoming friends by doing that and building those relationships. When it came time for me to look at this opportunity I, I was able to talk to him as a friend instead of just like as somebody they met on LinkedIn or, or whatever. And I was able to talk to him about, well, what's it like being a freelancer? You know, how do you do things and how do you find clients and what do you charge? You know, I, I didn't even know any of those aspects of things. And so the majority of the clients I get from when I started to even to today, 
the majority of them are, are referrals, you know, and by developing those relationships and, you know, one by not, again, not asking before you've developed the relationship, but also by them knowing you, they know like, okay, Lee's not just some like Yahoo that doesn't really know what he's talking about. And it's going to go over to chat GTP and, and <laughs> get an article that way. He's actually knowledgeable on these different topics and can speak eloquently and, and is not going to like harm my reputation. Cause anybody that I refer, that's going to possibly come back on me. If I'm like referring somebody who's not going to take it seriously and just kind of you know, throw garbage in the wind, you know? And so you got to plant those seeds far in advance, whether it's freelancing or whether it's another career, and that's why we talked about earlier about attending conferences and developing those relationships and meeting people in the industry that you are involved in, meeting those people, whether you, you're happy with your job today or you know, you're looking to find a new career or find a, like a new company, start meeting people today and that way you're ready when it's time for you to move. Yeah, that's really great advice. And it's, so much of life is about relationships and, and building and not, like you say, not trying to get to know somebody just so you can use them for something else, but developing genuine relationships, which lead into other stuff. Uh, Over the years, I've seen a lot of people have personal blogs and miles and points, and then they eventually go off. Some of them go to freelancing. Some of them go to corporate jobs like at the Points Guy or, you know, CNN or Forbes or whatever. Um, You have sort of done your freelancing and really build that into a substantial business, but you do also still write on your personal blog on Bald Thoughts. So, you know, what are the, what are the differences in how you develop content for those two things? Obviously on the freelance side, sometimes you'll be assigned things, but, uh, what are the differences in the content? And I guess this is more from an audience perspective when they're reading, let's say a personal blog versus reading a corporate article. Yeah, I would say uh, a couple of different things. One, most of the time when you're writing for, you know, TPG, us news, Investopedia, Forbes, whatever, like a bunch of the different clients I have, when you're writing for them, you're not writing in your own voice. There's no, generally there's no first person, uh, you know, anecdotes and those types of things. Uh, it's more of, it's more clinical, I guess you would say like you were, you're removing the personality out of it a lot. I mean, you're still right. Being genuine with it, you know, and you're sharing your, your true opinions on things, but like, it's not you, it's Forbes or Investopedia. TPG says this, not Lee says this, or Sean says that. And so, uh, I generally try to stay away from clients that require you to pitch, but some some clients uh, assign and some clients like to for you to pitch things. Um, if I do have clients that pitch, one of the benefits of having your own site is if you really want to write about that article or that topic and they don't want to pay for it, like maybe that's just not part of their content strategy or whatever, the fact that you have your own site, hey, that's cool. I really like this article. I really like this, this idea. I'm going to write about it myself anyways and then put it on my own site. And in the freelancing world, sometimes you get into certain niches or you know, certain topics and you're like, okay, cool. I like, I like writing about investing. I like writing about insurance and, you know, I, I write about tax and, and real estate investing and all these other topics, but I still really like talking about travel. I still really talk, like talking about the miles and points and, and, you know, how to be lucrative with those and, and being able to create those memories. So if they're not willing to pay for, for that, or like, that's just the type of assignments I'm getting recently, I could still kind of return to my love of miles and points by writing on my own site, you know, and especially for the people that are just starting out, sometimes it's hard to find clients because like, well, I haven't seen any of your writing. 
And by having your own site, you can actually create your own content and say, well, here's a few examples of content that I've published, right? Um, that, and then you can also, as you're developing these relationships at conferences and, and even just interacting with people on Twitter or Instagram or uh, commenting on their sites, you can develop relationships with people and write a guest post for them. Guess what? Clients that have no idea whether it's a guest post that you, that you did for free or you got paid a bunch of money, right? They just know that, hey, somebody else likes the content that you've created and they pub- they thought it was worthy to publish on their site. That's a good, that's a good link that you can share with, uh, with a potential client as you're trying to build up your portfolio of, 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 of assignments. Yeah, I'd imagine it could be a lot more personally fulfilling to write, to have that outlet of that more personal nature of writing, even though, you know, yeah. writing uh, freelance can certainly uh, pay the bills. And like you say, you're writing in the voice of whoever, the, whoever you're writing for, but just still having that outlet because you do love it. That's how you approach this whole career, basically, right? That's yeah. how you got into it is through your love of miles and points and travel. And I didn't mention at the top, but you also have a travel podcast. We travel there, which is all about like destinations, which is really great. Uh, People should, you know, go check it out in any podcast app. And you've had experts uh, all over the years from all different kinds of cities talking about places to visit and eat. And so you really have infused your personality in, you know, the things that you love while also being able to, you know, write uh, freelance stuff about, you know, more, uh, I guess, serious topics that are less personality driven. So it's really interesting how you've been able to kind of uh, spread it both ways. Well, I mean, I I guess the thing is, like, like I mentioned, you know, being more extroverted and everything like that, sitting in my office, I call my office like Vegas without the fun. I have no idea what time it is. There are four walls and I'm just, the doors close, even if nobody's in the house and I'm just sitting here cranking out articles all day. And it's, it gets lonely, right? You know, uh, and having the podcast is a great way to just to meet people, to learn about new things, but also having adults around that you can speak to. And so it's been a lot of fun that way. I've actually done over 250 episodes now. So the podcast launched in September of 18. So shortly after we moved and, uh, they're basically just destination guides for a bunch of cities. Like obviously you were on for, for Las Vegas. So that was really great. Uh, this week is Newcastle, UK. Uh, last week was the Sunshine Coast of Australia. Uh, next week is uh, Zagreb, Croatia. So it's really cool learning about all these places. The problem is, though, it's like even for those of us that have miles and points, it's like, man, I'm never going to be able to hit all these locations. And, and so many of them sound so amazing. And uh, I, my top 10 of places I, I want to go to keep keep changing on a regular basis as I as I learn about these fun places. And and so the good thing is that each of these episodes are designed to in- inspire people to travel to, okay, obviously we know like Paris is great and London and New York and, and San Francisco and all these like popular cities that a lot of people think of initially when, when thinking about where to travel to. And I think with, with the podcast, I'm really trying to, to focus a lot on like secondary or even tertiary cities that have a lot of great things to offer, but maybe you've never heard of or not considered because you're like, ah, is it really worthwhile to spend all that money to just travel to that, to that city? And so like one of my favorite examples is a Kamakura, Japan. Uh, it's about an hour South of Tokyo. And you know, you and I living here in the U S like maybe you're not going to fly all the way to, to Japan just to go to, to Kamakura, but like, Hey, I'm in Tokyo. It's only an hour train ride. Maybe I'm going to like carve out a day or two to go down there and check it out. Cause I've, I've heard some really cool things on the podcast about it. And so I think by doing that, it helps expand your travel lens and and being able to look at 
other cities than beyond just like the the major ones. Isn't that where they have the giant Buddha in Kamakura? I, I think so. It's been yeah. probably four years since I did the episode, but uh, <laughs> my dad, my dad served there. Exactly. He always talks about he loved the Kamakura. I haven't been there uh, personally, oh, nice. but I think through 250 episodes, you're actually you're right. I mean, you have the big cities, but there's so much more in the world to find, and uh, it's so cool mm-hmm. that you've been doing it for this long that you're able to kind of find more niche destinations. And and like I said, you always have really well engaged people with great information. Uh, to to share. So I highly recommend that podcast and going through such a backlog now of episodes. I think mine was quite a few years ago uh, when I talked about Las Vegas. Uh, But we'll we'll have to do it again because it's changed so much in there. But I did want to talk, I did want to talk about uh, some travel hacking stuff because I was, you know, going through your site, seeing some of the more interesting stuff you wrote on your personal side. And I came across an article which you had just republished, but I guess you had written it a few years ago called The Seven Deadly Sins of Travel Hacking. And I thought it was really fine. And I think there's a lot of good advice contained within that. And you sort of filter it all through the seven deadly sins, pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, and sloth. But uh, each one of those has a lesson within travel hacking. And let's start with pride. And this is something that's so prevalent in the Miles and Points community. And you (laughs) say it's pride slash know-it-all. Um, you know, in the travel hacking world, remember that you're never too experienced or knowledgeable to know it all. I think this is really good advice for life, right, in general. Uh, yeah. But th- we all know those people in the space who, you know, they claim they know it all, but they also like lord that over other people and they don't welcome people as who are newer and they try to, you know, position themselves as better than or more knowledgeable. And, you know, in the end, we're just people who love to travel and w- we're always – in life, you're, there's always something you know a lot about, and there's other things that you don't. And being able to humble yourself uh, in all things is pretty good. Absolutely. And I think also the other aspect of it, because I, I try to focus a lot on you know families that are, are just getting into the miles and points, you know. And I think a lot of people like you that kind of fit into this forget that we were all once beginners too. Right. And I mean, I used to think I was hot stuff. I had my SPG card. I had my Southwest card and I had my, my timeshares. I'm like, dude, I can travel anywhere. I can do anything. And then all of a sudden my wife's like, I want to go to Paris. I'm like, Ooh, um, baby Southwest doesn't fly there, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's one of those things like you, you're never going to know it all. And by actually working to be able to, to book that trip, I learned so much about how to get those additional miles and how to, which airlines to fly there and, and all those other things that sometimes you, you kind of get, it is good to be humbled and it's good to remember that like, look, we, we all need to learn. And, and I'm, I kind of take that approach even now, even though we've been doing it for so long that you have to, like, you're never going to know it all. And so I, I take the Einstein approach. If I can look it up easily, I'm not going to like commit it to memory. I'm just going to, I'm not going to do that. We have a lot of friends that, they can spit out the award charts. They can do all these other things. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. You, you're like Green Man. I don't know, but uh, that's not me. I'm like, this article. I, I think one of the things I like to do about it is I like having a little bit more fun because you know we have so many like blogger friends that they write all about the latest credit card review or like whatever card is giving them the highest commission and they're writing about it. Uh, I like to find articles like this that I can take a different slant. That's a little bit more character. That's not just like the basic get the, the, the chase Sapphire preferred because it's like got a really hot bonus right now, you know? And, and I think hopefully readers appreciate that. Yeah, I think so. It gives you a different way to look at it. 
And, you know, we have our Diamond community, which is about 400 members and just such an incredible group of people that is everything from, like, the beginners to, like, some of the most advanced people that are levels above where I'm at. And, uh, you know, just being able to admit that is uh, is a fun thing. But they're, but they yeah. the one rule of the group is that you have to be welcoming and you have to be helpful. There's none of that flaming others. There's none of that putting people down. There's no dumb questions. And what we found over years of doing this is that that, you know, everybody has sort of adopted that and it creates a better community and you don't have to worry about, you know, the person who's been doing this for 10 or 15 years isn't jaded uh, because those type of people just yeah. don't work in the community and it just makes it all better, which, you know, brings to the next thing, greed, right? Unwillingness to share. And this is something that's really prevalent in the community. People get a little secret, they get a little deal, and then, you know, everybody's whispering to each other and there's clicks and nobody wants to share this with you. And obviously there's, you know, different advanced plays that people don't want to share, but it can really be difficult uh, when you're new and you're seeing this from the outside. And uh, I think one of the greatest things to do is to share and to help and to be gracious with others who are uh, getting new to this because it's amazing to see when a, a newcomer goes from like knowing nothing to like taking trips that they've always dreamed about for their entire lives within, you know, just a few months or a year. Absolutely. And, and like I mentioned earlier about being in the miles and points community versus being in the, the, the FinCon community in the personal finance side of things, like they are willing to share everything. And cause guess what? Like if you max out your, your Roth IRA, it's not going to affect me maxing out my Roth IRA. Right. Whereas on the miles and points community, you know, they have so many of like those scenarios where like, you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And we have a lot of friends among us that they go absolutely hog wild and they do crazy amounts of numbers in some of these deals. And then all of a sudden like, the deal's closed because they, they blew it up because they went way too wild on it. And that is the aspect that I could understand why you want to hold back some, some things, but I think there's, I think the pie is big enough for all of us to be able to share enough ideas. And we just need to have some of those people that are go overboard to like chill out a little bit and like play the long game, not the, not the short game. Yeah. Those are the people I choose not to deal with uh, in this space. But I, luckily I found so many really cool people. And like I said, of all experience levels uh, to deal with, whether it's in the diamond group or elsewhere, uh, there's so much positivity within the community too. Um, that some of those like louder negative voices, I feel like sometimes we focus on them too much, but we do have a great group of people in the community. I'm not going to go through every single one, but one other one I wanted to hit on and people will put a link in the description to this article so you can read the whole thing because Lee lays out a lot of interesting thoughts for each of these. But, you know, unorganized sloth is, uh, you know, this is something that can be really, you know, dangerous, I guess, in this space, especially if you get, you're new, you're not used to carrying credit card balances. And I don't mean like paying interest, but you're just not used to having balances on different cards. You're meeting spend requirements everywhere. Um, you know, you're not sure when you have to spend by all this sort of stuff. So staying organized is so important in this space. And you even point out that, you know, people could occasionally get a 30 day late on their credit just because they're not sure, you know, they opened a new card and they forgot about it or something like that. So yeah. organization really is the key here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest assets that we all have is our credit, but it's an asset you have to continue to take good care of because it, it can unravel very quickly. And you go, you can go from something, you having a very nice credit score, getting approved for pretty much anything you want. Next thing you know, you get a, a 30 day late or, you know, some, something else on your, on your credit. And now like you're in purgatory for the next several years, right? Because 
credit, I mean, negative credit marks stay on your credit for, for years and it can affect your ability to get a job, can affect your ability to, you know, get insurance rates, get approved for a mortgage, get approved for, you know, leasing a, uh, you know, leasing an apartment, all these different factors that beyond the miles and points aspect of things, you know? And so you have to, you, you have to like sometimes just chill out on these great deals and because there are so many of them, like it's like almost every month there's like a, a new hot deal that's you know, six figures plus of miles and points, and they're all, it's all great. But if you aren't, if you go beyond your capacity to like actually focus on what's at hand and focus on keeping things accurate, you know, getting those those bonuses, you know, as far as getting the minimum spend, keeping everything current, and making sure you're not missing any payments. If you lose sight of all that. It's not worth it because next thing you know, you're getting declined for your mortgage. You know, you're applying for a job at a bank or top secret clearance, you know, for your job, you know, that you're working with the government or whatever. Sorry, you know, you're, you fit all the different criteria, but you have bad credit and you're too much of a risk. We can't afford to hire you, you know, and you don't want something short-sighted to affect your, your long-term financial future. Yeah. And this has been a problem I've had over the years. It's just chasing too many deals or, you know, not knowing what my limitations are. And I think the other downside of, now, thankfully I've been able to stay organized, haven't had any of the really detrimental things happen. Really the, the biggest side effect for me was it took away a lot of the enjoyment uh, for miles and points, because when you're overburdened, it's a lot harder to enjoy the aspects of it, whether it's on the earning or, or the redemption, it feels more like a job. I mean, it is my job. So I guess in some ways uh, that's the case, but I do feel like when you overextend yourself, as much as that deal can look great on the surface, you really aren't doing yourself any favors because it will become tedious. And, you know, I, I know people, there was this big play. Uh, I've talked, I've hinted at it about it on the podcast. I can't really talk about it cause it's not my thing to talk about, but uh, you know, that went sideways for a lot of people who are out a lot of money, or they're at least potentially out a lot of money. And I know people who have just been sick to their stomachs, it's affected their home lives, it's affected every aspect of their life. And, you know, sometimes we see that, you know, big payday at the end, or we see all those points we earn, and we don't see the potential um, downsides of it. And so that, you know, as you start earning more miles and points, and seeing all these more advanced methods of kind of generating spend, whether it's starting businesses or all kinds of other things, um, you know, it's important to kind of keep your eye on the prize and understand that your financial well-being, your personal well-being, your happiness is important too. And it's not just like unlimited go for the races on everything. Absolutely. And the thing is, like, like you mentioned earlier, like this is your job. This is my job. I mean, we're supposed to be focused on all these things, but if you think of like the average person, you know, they got their job, they got their commute, they got their family, whether they have kids or not. And they have all the other aspects of their life that they enjoy. They're not going to spend the countless hours that you and I spend researching all these things, tracking all these things. And, you know, I'll admit I have like probably 45 credit cards, right? The, but I tell everybody else, do not do what I do. Like the vast majority of people should not get anywhere near that number, right? Like probably stay in the single digits for most people getting, like getting overwhelmed it's easy for a lot of people. You know, we don't have a lot of financial education in the country and everything like that. And the average person doesn't really understand how to, how to control things. Luckily in our community, a lot of them much more, a lot of them are much more like financially focused and are good with their credit and stuff like that. But it's easy for some people that are just coming in 
to get overwhelmed because you see everybody on Instagram, you see all these different things, you talk to different people, whether it's in, in the social media or you at a conference and you hear about all these amazing trips and like, you want that too. Cause that's amazing. And then all of a sudden, like you just get overwhelmed. Like, like you said, they, you know, you can apply for a bunch of different cards and all of a sudden you have to spend, you know, $20,000 in the next three months and your normal expenses are like 2000. You're like, okay, am I going to miss out on the bonuses or am I going to overspend in order to be able to hit them? And it's a difficult decision for for some of them to make. And sometimes they make the wrong decision. They, you know, get into debt and it can crater their credit score or just take months or if not years to kind of dig out from that excess spending. You mentioned social media and this is a topic I've been wanting to dive into on the podcast, which I'll do on a, a later episode, but I would love your opinion on this. Uh, obviously, we've seen in the last few years the rise of TikTok and Instagram videos and influencers becoming far more focused in that space on miles and points, whereas traditionally had been blogs uh, and other stuff. And I notice, uh, as somebody who's been doing this for over 10 years, uh, specifically in the miles and points genre, and for 15 years uh, doing it in the travel genre, is there's a lot of like uh, snake oil salesmen on social media in this space. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who got their first credit card three months ago, and now they're trying to show everybody else how to do it. And and they filter it all through the lens of the first class flights. And how do how do you think people protect themselves from that? Because, you know, on one level, it could be, you know, here's Sean, he's a podcaster, has a blog, and he's, you know, crapping on people on social media. I'm not doing that at all. There are some really great voices on Instagram yeah. and TikTok in the miles and points space. But there are so much, I don't want to call it garbage, but I'm going to call it garbage. Like it's, there's so much of this, like... <laughs> Uh, like I said, snake oil salesmen, people that just clearly don't know what they're talking about. And then they're trying to sell a lifestyle of something that they just figured out two months ago. Does that bother you? And how do you think people can kind of work their way to kind of find the good people on social media? I, I mean, it absolutely bothers me um, because my, my dad was a bankruptcy attorney and I saw so many people come through his doors that just got into bad financial trouble because they were listening to the wrong advice. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, you don't have to pay taxes or, you know, you can, you know, transfer cards from like one balance transfer card to the next, to the next, to the next. And they, they just get into bad situations. And so I'm very vigilant about any sort of situation like that. And there are people obviously that are on social media that are promoting this lifestyle that, that they make it seem so easy. Well, first off, it is easy if you have just like one person. You're right. Like it's pretty, I mean, you know, from like look, searching yeah. for award space, if you only have one person, yeah, you can probably find that flight pretty easy. Right. Uh, and you get one or two cards and you probably have enough miles to be able to book that flight. Now, if you want to bring somebody with you or you have some kids and you, that you want to bring with you as well, trying to find two, three, four, five or, or more like spaces, you know, sorry, it's, that's a lot of miles and points to earn. And just sometimes the airlines don't have that space available, you know, and that's one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm always worried about is that the people that are just getting started, they, they get turned off because they, they think it's so easy because of some of these videos that people do. And then they go to try it and they, they get flustered. You know, it's the same thing, even with some of the blogs as well. Like the, some blogs make it seem so easy and everything like that. But you have to be truthful with people and, and say, look, this isn't going to be like an overnight thing. Sometimes it's going to take a little while. And I always tell people, I said, look, even if you can only afford to pay for like one direction of the flights for your family, or you can only afford to pay for like two or three of the nights of the seven days that you're going to be gone, 
it's still a win. You've still saved 500, 1,000 or, or more dollars on your vacation and you're able to travel this year instead of waiting two or three years to be able to save up all that money to be able to make that trip ha- happen. And so I don't like the fact that they make it, they make light of the aspect that it is a little bit more effort than, than what they make it seem. You know, it, it, it does require, like anything, it takes a little bit of effort to get a good reward, you know, and the travel that we're able to do is a fantastic reward, but it does require a little bit of effort. And it's not just get this one card, go buy some gift cards, cash them in at Walmart and, you know, and then pay off your card. Like a lot of these things that, that we've done in the past, they're no, they're don't they're no longer like easy to do. And it's just not, it's not all, you know, sparkle and glitters that they, that they put it on social media. Yeah, I totally agree. And there, there's so much to kind of, to learn about that. And, uh, you know, there's, I guess, I guess you're right in blogs. There's always been that sort of thing too. I just feel like on social media, especially with short form video taking off the way it has, uh, that you see a lot more of this and you don't see the nuance. And I think you make a great point. People can travel within their, goals and means they don't have to aspire to fly a business class and like my one of the first big trips we took uh when i was in the miles and points was we backpacked around europe for three months in early 2013 with my son and um we didn't i didn't have enough miles and points to get every hotel for free but uh and we stayed in a lot of guest houses and local places and then when we wanted to stay somewhere a little nicer there was a good redemption we used our miles and points so probably 25 percent, 20 25 percent of where we stayed was for free and then we were still sort of backpacking around for the rest of it. And that worked really well. And that was fine. Mm-hmm. And it was still great. And, you know, now seven, you know, eight, nine years later, or 10 years later, the time flies, Lee, I'm telling you, um, <laughs> you know, this last year and a half, we've been semi-nomadic. Last year, I spent seven months on the road. And almost every single hotel and flight redemption was paid for with miles and points. It took a long time to figure out how to do that. It took a lot of time to str- to strategize and COVID helped a little bit because it didn't travel. So I was able to build up some balances and, and do stuff like that. But it doesn't really matter whether you're spending seven months like I did and, and paying for almost everything, or you're able to pick up a hotel night here or there. It's all still good. And, and to the, stay within your limits and your bounds. And I think that's Absolutely. good. We're all... I was going to say that. I mean, part of the other aspect is obviously credit cards are a great way to, to get a bonus and, and get miles and points. Uh, one of the other articles that we kind of talked about was uh, the automatic miles millionaire. The, again, it's from a personal finance standpoint of the, the automatic millionaire. It's using those strategies of, of automating as much of your life as possible. So that way you're earning miles on, on everything that you're doing, not just relying on getting a new card because so many of these banks limit the the number of cards you can get, or they make it so hard. I mean, like the, I applied for a Barclays card for my business uh, at the beginning of uh, beginning of March. And I went through an entire process for like six weeks to get that card approved. And finally they said, sorry, we can't approve you because you don't have a business, uh, a bank uh, statement with your home address. I said, yeah, I, I don't put my home address on things cause I don't want random people knowing exactly where I live. And they're like, sorry, unless you have a utility bill or a bank statement with your home address, then we can't approve you. And so we took that entire six week process and couldn't, I couldn't get it approved. And so all these banks have weird rules, especially now, you know, the economy is a little, a little shaky, you know, a little uncertainty as far as what's happening over the next probably six to 12 months, you know, getting a new card, isn't like 
a sure thing like it used to be, you know? And so you have to be a little bit more creative and you have to take advantage of the different avenues that are out there to be able to get miles and points and maximize the rewards on the, the money that you're already spending. All right. Great, great advice. And uh, yeah, you definitely have a, an interesting article in the uh, automatic miles millionaire. I'll also put that link in the description because uh, we're running out of time as far as what we're getting to cover. And I did want to cover one last thing with you, which is just family travel. I guess this, this is a little inspiration from we travel there, but you travel all over with your kids, but I know you've done a lot of travel within Tennessee and in that area, Nashville, you know, Memphis, Gatlinburg, uh, which is my favorite because I love Dollywood Lee. It's uh, such a such an amazing park. But what are some of your favorite places around Tennessee for not, not just for family travel, but just in travel in general that maybe people don't know about? Well, I would say um, one of the biggest ones that, that we've really enjoyed is going up to like the, the Bowling Green area of Kentucky. It, it's weird for me coming from California because, you know, my commute from Anaheim to to downtown LA was an hour and a half, right? So now I, from being here in Nashville, an hour and a half north, I'm in Kentucky. An hour and a half south, I'm in <laughs> I'm in Alabama, right? And so it's weird that I can drive and be in other states, you know, quicker than I can get to work in my old job. And so the Bowling Green area is pretty amazing because uh, they have the Mammoth Caves National Park and like the, the caves are just absolutely amazing. They, it's like a whole different world under there. And uh, I think the last time we went, there's probably like 16 to 18 different like tours just from this one cave. Cause it's, it's the largest cave complex in the world uh, or certainly the North America. And they've not yet found the end of the cave. So that just blows my mind that they've obviously they know all about the cave. It's like that, but there's like probably like something like 300 or 400 miles of trails under the ground, you know, and that's really cool. Um, this other place that's, that's like just outside of there, it's called uh, Horse Cave. They have a place that that um, it reminds me of our, our visits to Australia. It's called the Kentucky Down Under. And they actually, you can walk in there and there's kangaroos bouncing around and you can feed them right out of your hand. And so just cool experiences like that, that um, I'm, I'm always looking for like that kind of the educational slash entertainment like type of situations for my kids. And so, yeah, amusement parks are great and, and those types of things, but being able to go there and interact with the animals and, you know, I'm, I'm not quite yet ready to, to splurge on a, on Australian uh, flight for them, you know? And so this is like the next best thing, being able to go up there. And, and the cool thing, like I said, it's a, like an hour and a half. So you can come here to Nashville, enjoy all the fun things that, to do here, but you, it's, you know, it's, only an hour and a half away. And so we can like drive up on a Saturday morning and come back Saturday night or even spend the night and kind of enjoy our, our entire weekend up there. And so um, that's really cool. Uh, you mentioned Gatlinburg. One of the things I love there that I've, I really kind of experienced is they have, I think either six or seven different mountain coasters. And I love, I love thrill rides and, and all the roller coasters and everything like that. But the mountain coasters, they're actually just fed off gravity. And so they have like a, you know, like at the beginning of a normal roller coaster brings you to the top and then it's just gravity and you either letting go of the brakes or controlling the brakes controls your speed going down. And, and they're, they are a ton of fun. I mean, you, you don't think like, okay, well it's a, it's a small ride. It's a short ride. It's not going to be that fun. They are actually really thrilling. And I would put them right up there with just about any other roller coaster at any of the amusement parks. It's just great fun. I mean, it's like, if you think of like, what's it called? Like a, I'm trying to think of the, the toboggan ride over at, at Disneyland, the Matterhorn. It's basically just like the Matterhorn, but it's on the side of a mountain over there in Gatlinburg. And there's like six or seven of them. They're really cool. Uh, we actually did 
all six of them in, in one weekend. And so my wife was probably like tired of me <laughs> driving between all the different ones, but it's a lot of fun. But the other aspect of it, it is right there on the entrance of the, this, the Great Smokies National Park. And unfortunately, I'm not going to sign up this year, but next year I'm going to do it. They actually have a synchronized fireflies. And so like the, these fireflies come out around like the, the middle to end of May to beginning of June. And they have a lottery as far as being able to apply to be able to get your tickets. And uh, it's just from what I've understand and, and from pictures I've seen and everything like that, it's just a, such a cool experience. The park itself, there's no cost to enter the park because there was actually, I guess it was privately owned. And when they gave the land to the, to the states and to the federal government, they basically said, look, all these roads are paid for, but as a condition of us giving you this, this, all this land, you can't charge entrance fees to the national park. And so it's, it's great on the budget. It's great uh, as far as being able to go to all the different hikes and going through the trails and everything. Uh, they do now charge for parking, uh, but uh, that's pretty easy. It's like, you know, six bucks for the day or something like that. So it's like 180 degrees dichotomy between Gatlinburg and the national park is Gatlinburg is like, if you think of glitzy and, and neon signs and all these other things, I think, I think literally there's like four or five Ripley's locations there, you know, uh, like if, if you ever thought like looked up tourist trap in the dictionary, it would be Gatlinburg, yep. right? It's a lot of fun, yeah. but it's like, everything is touristy and everything like that. And then just steps away is one of the best national parks, uh, you know, in the U S and it's, it's kind of cool having both of those right there. I totally agree. That's been my experience there in Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg. You have, it almost feels like International Drive in Orlando where you have all of the mini golfs and go-kart tracks and yeah, all yeah. of that sort of crazy family stuff. As you point out, they have these mountain coasters, which are often beautiful in these locations kind of outside of there. And the mountain coasters are in a lot of like ski resorts now. They've really uh, spread it across but my favorite part of being in that area is the is the national park, and I've done some incredible hikes to like waterfalls, and you know it it, it does give you this sort of kind of all in one family vacation, right? You can have you know Dollywood itself is is probably one of the best amusement parks in the country. It's a really cool park, but uh, outside of that, you have all the touristy trap kind of things. So it's almost like you're in Orlando a little bit, <laughs> and then you just go you know just down the road, and you have just a spectacular national park and. I think that's the best part of it, honestly. I don't care about all the tourist traps. I like amusement parks. I like Dollywood, but I don't care about go-kart tracks and all yeah. that stuff. I, I do care about uh, beautiful hikes. And I, I don't remember the name of it, but I remember this one incredible hike we did to this giant waterfall. And it was like, this was back in 2007. And it was the first time I really think I saw like a massive waterfall in person on a hike oh, yeah. like that. And it, so it's just, it will always be uh, special to me. So yeah, so much to do in that area, and uh, I'm glad you were able to share some of your now local Tennessee wisdom uh, from from being out there for the last five years. And I really think there was a lot of cool things that you covered. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about some of these different ideas uh, that you know maybe give people a lot to think about here. Where can people find you when they're not listening to this podcast? Sure. So uh, baldthoughts.com is where I write on a regular basis, talking about our latest travels, some of the cards I have, you know, experiences we've taken, you know, fun articles like, uh, you know, the seven deadly sins of travel hacking, the Lee method of travel hacking, uh, and all those other fun types of things that are just beyond like the, the ordinary. Uh, but every Monday is the We Travel There podcast comes out with a new episode. The way we do it now is 
every like for nine weeks, we do different destinations. And then on the 10th week, we do a special topic, you know, talking about uh, like recently it was like Spencer Howard came on about talking about how to save money on flights. Uh, I had somebody come on and talk about the Alabama Civil Rights Trail. And then every probably 20 or 30 episodes now I have my kids come on. We talk about something and it's just kind of cool to memorialize uh, their thoughts and, and their voices based on their, their current age. And, you know, as we talked about, like they grow up so quickly and it's just kind of fun to be able to, to kind of hear what they have to say and, and the advice that they can give to other kids and other families. Absolutely. And yeah, thanks for that. Definitely check out, uh, all thoughts and we travel there. And if you're reading a personal finance article, look at the byline. Cause there's a good chance that Lee wrote that as well. Uh, next time you see <laughs> a, a, a big article from one of your favorite big sites. Uh, For this podcast, just as a reminder, you can find everything at mtmpodcast.com. Links to subscribe, uh, apply for cards, all of that stuff, mtmpodcast.com. Thanks again, Lee, for coming. Really, I totally enjoyed this conversation. I hope to see you at the FinCon later this year. Uh, That'd be great. Yeah, I'll be there. And I I, I submitted a proposal to speak, again, trying to keep my costs low. And uh, hopefully you'll see me up up on stage. And uh, it's been great talking to you again as a freelancer. It's nice to be able to talk to adults every once in a while and give me a little bit of a break from just typing on the keyboard. All right. Well, thanks again, Lee. Talk to you later.